Well, as I was uh, telling you, we had a wonderful uh, weekend away. I've heard great reports about uh, about Alice's funeral here yesterday, and um, it sounds like uh, it was a wonderful celebration of the life of one of the saints. You know, it's a reminder to us that the the church is not bricks and mortar. The church is flesh and blood. It is the saints, and it's people like Alice who will live in this place for forever. And we thank you for coming and celebrating her life here yesterday. And I'm grateful for Bob and Diana to be able to come back and do that. It allowed two great moments in God's kingdom to happen. For I was able to be present with a young couple who, who are important in my life as they entered into the, the bliss of a wedded matrimony forever. Um, they had no idea what they're getting into, do they? <laughs> it's... Uh, it was a wonderful weekend. The wedding was up on uh, on Mackinac Island. I found the fudge shop. I found it. I think there was only one, right? Um, you know, there's no there's no cars on Mackinac Island, so all you can uh, all you can do is uh, ride bikes and and walk. I got a new slogan for Mackinac Island: Come to Mackinac Island, find out just how out of shape you really are. You know, we got bikes in the morning and I was like, oh, God, we're going to have plenty of time. We'll be able to ride around the island two, three times. By about mile three, I'm like, where's the horse? <laughs> Somebody get me a horse, you know. Um, but it was a wonderful, wonderful time away. It was a wonderful first time away without kids. Uh, and, and amen to that. Wow. We had a dinner where we didn't have to say, stop it. Pick that up. No. Don't hit your brother. It was wonderful. We didn't know what to even even do. I started, one time the waiter came by and I said, could you just drop something on the floor so I could pick it up? Um, but uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful weekend away and it is, uh, it's good to be back among you. Um, in your bulletins today, you got a little sticker from me. Um, we're going to be doing a, a series this summer called Bumper Sticker Theology. The idea being at the end of the day, if I can't fit this message onto a bumper sticker, then I've said too much. So I'm going to talk for 20 minutes about what could ultimately just sit on a bumper sticker. But that's, uh, but here's the deal. You're going to get one of these each and every week that you come in. You can put them on your refrigerator. You can, uh, um, uh, you know, put them on your bumper of your car. You can put them on your door. You can do what you want with these. But as people come into your house over the course of this summer, they'll begin to see these accumulating in some place visible. And they'll say, hey, what, what is that about? And you can begin to tell them a little bit about what, uh, about what we're doing here at Redford Aldersgate. Um, you got to come every week, though, to get the full set. All right, so you get one. You get one every week. If you miss one, you come in, and I'll give you the 20-minute sermon in the office. Then you can pick one up. And uh, if you have them all at the end of the summer, you can put them on eBay, and I'm sure they'll uh, they won't sell for anything. But you will have a a good opportunity together. So that's why uh, that's why those are um, in there together with uh, with us this morning. All right, let's see if I can make the remote control work here. Other way. There we go. Our uh, scripture this morning comes from uh, Luke's Gospel, the 15th chapter. Hear these very familiar parables, but I hope they speak to you today in a new way. These ancient words, these timeless words. Jesus said, Now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. They said, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. I'm going to end up on ESPN yet, aren't I? Thanks, Julie. And he eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. 
Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses just one of them. Does he not leave the other ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He goes home then he calls to his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of God over one sinner who repents. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we simply ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be measured and found acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Bumper stickers. I love bumper stickers. Whenever I'm driving down the road and I see a car in front of me that's got a bumper sticker on it, I invariably try to inch up, creep up, sometimes even speed up in order to read it. You ever do that? You know, there's just something about a good bumper sticker, isn't it? A good bumper sticker will make you laugh. Sometimes it'll make you think. I mean, a good bumper sticker can say so much in just so little. But if you ever do this, I end up doing this most of the time. If I see a really cool bumper sticker, do you know what I do next? What do you do next? You gotta see who the driver is. Exactly. So I'm like trying to ease out around to see who the driver is. Because some, some bumper stickers make bold statements like this, right? Save the earth. It's the only planet with chocolate. Right? I mean, I want to know who the guy is that's driving that car, right? He and I could hang out, right? Right? And sometimes a bumper sticker will ask really profound questions like this one. Oh, what if There we go. Thanks, Julie. What if the hokey pokey really is what it's all about? I mean, think about that. What if the hokey pokey is what it's really all about? And we don't need to be here, do we? (laughs) I mean, I want to know who the guy is who asked that question. And sometimes you discover when you speed up to read that bumper sticker that the person in the car in front of you or now sitting next to you is a person of faith. Love them anyway. Or maybe it'll say something like, Grace happens. You know, there's just something about bumper stickers. Got me thinking, what kind of bumper sticker would Jesus put on his car? You might say WWJD. Well, he wouldn't have to know what he would do because he already knows what he's doing, right? He already knows what he's doing. I wondered what kind of bumper sticker would Jesus put on his car in order to communicate to us something about who he was and what ultimately he was all about. What would Jesus' bumper sticker say? Story. Maybe you remember hearing about it. It was in the early 90s and the Chicago police stumbled upon one of the worst cases of child neglect in modern history. They found 19 children, all of them living alone without any adult supervision in a two-room apartment. The conditions were squalid beyond imagination. 
the stench of dirty diapers and rotting food, the piles of dirty clothes and trash, the overflowing toilets. The police stumbled upon these 19 children with no adult anywhere to be found. One of the boys was pushing the trash from one room to another with a broken shovel in order to create some sense of order in the midst of the chaos. i got to be honest with you, in the ten years since I first heard that story, it has stuck with me. I've often wondered what happened to those 19 children. Where did they ever end up? And so it was with great surprise and some relief when flipping the channels that my eyes stopped on CNN one day. There were three kids, all in blue gowns and graduation caps. And in the middle of those three kids was a handsome young man named Anthony Melton. One of those 19 kids. He'd been taken in by one Claudia Christian. In fact, she took five of them in. Five brothers whose mother was in prison and fathers were nowhere to be found. The Department of Family and Social Services wanted to keep those five brothers together, so Claudia agreed to take those three boys for five months. And ten years later, they were still there. She remembers bringing those five boys home for the first time. She bought them new bunk beds, but they wouldn't sleep in them. They just huddled in the middle of the floor under a a blanket. These five brothers fought all the time. They destroyed much of the house. Her husband, who was already unhappy, said to Claudia, it's either me or the boys. She chose the boys. She set down some rules, assigned some basic chores, started to establish some boundaries. She got them going to school. Sure, there were some setbacks, but Claudia persisted. And the boys were making it. You know, it's not often that the news brings a tear to my eye, but on that day, it did. Claudia remembered those opening days with those boys. She said those boys would come together and they would sleep in the middle of that floor in this huddled mass of bodies. In the middle of the night, one of them would invariably have a nightmare and they would be screaming and she would run into that room and she'd take two or three of those boys in her arm and she would rock them until they fall asleep saying over and over and over again, I love you, I love you, I love you. She said sometimes you just have to say it until it sticks. Said you can't mess around with those words when it comes to the hearts of children. I love you, I love you, I love you. Sometimes you just need to say it until it sticks. As the parent of a three-year-old, I get that. 
I spend much of my life saying things over and over and over again, praying that it'll stick. Hands are not for hitting. Hands are not for hitting. Stop. Look. No cars. Go. Ketchup is not shampoo. <laughs> Stop sitting on your brother. You say things over and over and over again, hoping, praying, trusting that one day it's going to stick. And then one day, you realize that it does. Casey, I love you. I know, Dad. I love you too. Say it until it sticks. You see, Jesus came among us saying over and over and over again, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Hoping, praying, trusting that one day it just might stick. You see, it's there in the 15th chapter of Luke's Gospel. He's gathered with this group of disciples and group of followers and He is doing everything He can to get them to understand that central message. Hoping, hoping that one day it just might stick. So he told them a story. He said, one day, a shepherd went out to count his 100 sheep. One, two, three, four, five, sixty-six, sixty-seven, sixty-eight, sixty-nine. Where's seventy? Hey, Where's 70? Anybody know where 70 is? What happened to sheep number 70? And on discovering that sheep number 70 was gone, this shepherd went out and looked over the hills and the countryside until he found that one lost sheep. And when he found that one lost sheep, he put that sheep on his shoulders and he carried that sheep back to the 100. And then he threw a party. Invited all his friends and neighbors and they spent more money on that party than the cost of that one sheep. Then Jesus turned back to those who were sitting around Him and said, which one of you wouldn't do exactly the same? And that's where He gets us. He gets us every time. Which one of you wouldn't leave the 99 behind in order to go find the one and all. We know the answer to that. None of us would. None of us would leave the 99 behind in order to go find the one. It doesn't make any sense. It's not good business. It's bad economics. And yet Jesus says that is exactly what God is like. Do we believe Him? Do we take Jesus at His Word? 
that each of us, no matter how far we've strayed off the beaten path, there isn't any place God won't go to ultimately find us. Do we, do we believe Him? Oh, we try, don't we? But most days we, we worry. We say to ourselves, I, I want to believe that, but deep down I know I'm not good enough. I know I'm not smart enough. I'm certainly not good looking enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not religious enough. Shoot. If God knows me like I know me, I wouldn't go looking for me. But Jesus says that is exactly what God is like. So He told them another story. Hoping this time it would stick. He said to them, women, which one of you women, when you discovered that you'd lost just one of your coins, which one of you women wouldn't sweep out the whole house? Wouldn't flip over all the couch cushions? Wouldn't pull all the furniture out onto the front porch and then start ripping up the floorboards one after the other in order to find that one lost coin? Bridget and I do that every morning to find my lost keys. But which one of you women wouldn't do that? And when you found your quarter, wouldn't run out into the streets and say to your friends and neighbors, come on, let's party. I found my quarter. Which one of you wouldn't do that? None of us would do it. It's crazy. It's insane. No rational, well-thinking person would ever do that. And yet Jesus says that is exactly what God is like. Boy, if we ever wrapped our head around that, that you and I are worth finding, that God loves us so much that no matter where we find ourselves, that God isn't going to exhaust any means in order to bring us back. Oh, if we ever wrapped our mind around that for one second, it would change everything. If we ever could see ourselves as God sees us, Oh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't hurt ourselves. We wouldn't hurt others. We wouldn't put ourselves in relationships with people who don't bring the best out of us. If we understood how God sees us, we wouldn't be so hard on ourselves and we wouldn't be so hard on each other. Do me a favor tomorrow morning. Do me, I'm your new pastor, so this is my first favor. I'm going to ask you to do this. Tomorrow morning, before you do anything else, wake up and go look in the mirror and say this. Before you do anything else, do this. Look in the mirror and say, you good looking thing. (laughs) Say, God loves you. And there isn't nothing you or anybody else can do about it. That's right. Look right in the mirror and say, you good looking thing. God loves you. And there isn't anything you or anybody else can do about it. Shoot, if that don't bring a smile to your face, I don't know what will. And I'm going to be thinking of you all tomorrow morning when I'm looking in that mirror. So don't, don't leave me hanging at that mirror tomorrow morning. I'm going to trust that you're going to do that. You see, if you could only see yourself as God sees you. You see, I think we're afraid. We're afraid that we could screw it up. 
We're afraid that there's something we might be able to do that would make it so God would never come looking for us. I think deep down we're afraid that there's something we might do or we might get so far off the beaten path that God wouldn't come find us. Well, listen to what Paul had to say. The people who were worried that there was something that they could do that would make God love them less. Hear these words from Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Rome. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not withhold His own Son but gave Him up for all of us, what will He not do to get us back? So what shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, no sword. No. No. In all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And nothing means nothing. Doesn't matter how far we've strayed off the path. Doesn't matter where we find ourselves. God loves us and He's going to keep saying it until it sticks. See, He told them one more story. Hoping this time that, that it would stick. You've heard the story. Let me tell it to you first person. I got this out of Mackinac. It's the peace frog. It's pretty cool. (laughs) You see, I'm not really sure where to start. I mean, I was just going to show up on their doorstep. I mean, they hadn't heard from me in, I don't know, five years. I didn't really even know if they were still alive, but what else was I going to do? So I just showed up. I mean, I didn't call them. If they knew I was coming, they probably would have called the police and had the doors locked waiting for me. See, I just went home one day. I'd hitchhiked for about a week. Hadn't showered in days. My clothes were all dirty and torn. I must have smelt something fierce. That's not what it was like when I left, though. (laughs) No, when I left, I had a quarter of a million dollars in my pocket. This money I'd taken from this college fund that my parents had set up for me, I took it and I left. You see, I wanted to get out. I wanted to get away from my parents. I wanted to get away from their stuffy rules and their stuffy friends and their stuffy church. I just wanted to get out there and I wanted to have some real life. And boy, did I get some real life. I wanted freedom. I wanted to be free. I wanted to be free to do whatever I wanted with whoever I wanted. And boy, did I have friends. For a while anyway. But you see, fast living has a way of emptying your pockets. And before I knew it, my stomach was empty too. It's a big layoff in the town. Nobody could find a job. One morning, I found myself looking for my breakfast in a dumpster. 
And I said, this isn't where it's at. I need to go home. I just need to go home. Maybe my dad would give me a job as an errand boy in his company. I don't know. But this just wasn't where it was at. So I showed up in town about 2 o'clock. And I wasn't about to just go over to their house. I went up to the park and I started rehearsing my speech. You know, hey dad, I'm really sorry. I, I know I messed up. I know I messed you over. I know I don't deserve it. But if you could find a way to just give me a break. I practiced that for a couple of hours. Then I figured I'd better go scope out the house. Well, what if they didn't live there anymore? I went to the house and I crept up to the mailbox and I lifted it up. And sure enough, there was some bills in there with their, with their name on it. So I knew they still lived there. And that's when I found the note. It was taped to the back of the mailbox. The paper had turned yellow and was brown. The tape on the edge was curled up. It had my name on it. I took it off and I read it. Dear Jeff, the bed's made. Sandwiches are in the fridge. The garage key is in that same old hiding place. Welcome home. Love mom and dad. Well, again, I wasn't about to go busting into that house. I mean, I'd had enough trouble with the police. I just went across the street and I hid out for a little while just to scope and see what would happen. Well, about five o'clock, my mom came home. I saw her go into the mailbox and her hand went up to her mouth and she went running inside and about 20 minutes later this car just came tearing down the block and it stopped right in front of the house and out jumped my dad and he ran into the house and then my mom she came out of the side of the house and she started looking up and down the street and my dad oh my dad just stood by this great big bay window and he folded his arms it's like he was looking like he was looking for somebody Oh, it wasn't until about midnight that I finally worked up enough courage to knock on the door. I knocked on the door. My dad answered. And he stood there. And he started to cry. And I, I launched into my speech, Dad, I'm sorry. I, I know I messed you up. I know I don't deserve it. He wouldn't even let me finish. He just wrapped his arms around me and he gave me this great big bear hug and then he brought me into the kitchen and there on the table was this feast. All of my favorite food was there. Buddy's pizza. The whole bit. It was there on the table. They got on the phone and they called my brother. It was 2 o'clock in the morning on a school night. And they were having a party. For me. And maybe that's when I finally realized just how much my parents loved me. You see, I didn't deserve it. And I sure didn't expect it. But that's how much they loved me. You see, Jesus told them a story. He said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that belongs to me. So he divided up his property between them. 
A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he'd spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods of the farmers. But then he said, I need to go home. I need to go home. I need to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your child. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he went off to find his father. But while he was far off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your child. But the father said to him, Quickly, bring a robe and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this child of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. Friends, as your pastor, I'm going to say it over and over and over again. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And I'm going to say it until it sticks. And we're going to be the church that says to this community in which we live, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, and we're going to say it until it sticks. We're going to sing that old hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved someone like me. I had the privilege this week of having lunch with Charlotte and Frank Mellon, and they were talking about some of the important moments here in this sanctuary. And she said, Charlotte said some of her favorite moments are moments in prayer up at that altar. As we begin this time together in ministry, I'm going to be up at that altar praying as we sing that song. I'm going to be thanking God that God found me. And if there's anybody here tonight who's wondering if God wants to find them, I want you to know that God is searching and will find you. If you want to come to the altar, it's open. No pressure. Just sing the song. I'll be there to pray and to pray with you. I just wanted us to know, as Charlotte said, some of the most powerful moments in this sanctuary happen at that rail. So it's open. We find that hymn either on the screens or uh, in the book. And would you stand and let's sing Amazing Grace together. And if you want to pray, I'll be up there to pray with you.